Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. In just a few moments, we'll conclude our series where we've looked at the greatest sermon ever preached. And we'll hear the words one more time of the greatest preacher who's ever communicated spiritual truth. The final words of Jesus in this sermon have inspired countless spiritual songs and hymns, like this one. How firm a foundation, O saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, who unto the Savior for refuge have fled. In every condition, in sickness and health, in poverty's veil, or abounding in wealth, at home and abroad, on the land and the sea, the Lord the Almighty, your strength, heir shall be. Or, or this one, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. You know this, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And then that newer song that we sing, Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. When everything around me is shaken, I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus because he's never let me down. He's faithful through generations, so why would he fail now? He won't. He won't, church. These words of Jesus beg the question of us. Do you have a firm foundation? Are you standing on the solid rock of Jesus Christ? If not, who or what are you building your life on? I want to help you answer those questions today. But first, I want us to pray. And just one more time. Ask God to cover these moments with his divine presence. So let's pray together. At the end of my prayer, I'm going to invite you to join me in praying that model prayer that Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. Heavenly Father, we have gathered in the name of Jesus, empowered by you, the Holy Spirit, Desiring simply to lift you up, Jesus, so that you might draw us close. We don't need to read today's news. We just need to look in the mirror to recognize that we need you, each of us. So give us today those things that we need where we're still lacking. Teach us new truth straight from your word. And then, Lord, help us to walk away different, changed, made new. Lord, I pray that beginning in me, that my words and even my thoughts would be pleasing to you because you're my strength. You're, you're the reason for which I live. You are the one who has redeemed me. But, Lord, I also pray that for my friends who will hear these words that these would be moments of life change. For some, a forever change as they begin a relationship with you. For others, a, a focus change as we recognize we've been putting our trust in the wrong things. 
So, Lord, continue to teach us. Even as you taught your disciples, when you taught them to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. For 15 weeks, we've listened to the Son of God as he taught us the Jesus way. This sermon on a hillside in Galilee began in Matthew chapter 5. We journeyed all the way through that chapter. We completed chapter 6. And today we come to the end of chapter 7. It's amazing, but you can still visit today the place where Jesus taught these words. It's called the Mount of the Beatitudes. I was there just a few years ago with some from our church family. By God's grace, I look forward to going again in May of 2025 and just breathing in the air from that place where Jesus taught. And in Matthew chapter 5, it says that Jesus looked out at them and he began to teach his climbing companions. I love that phrase because that speaks to who we really are. We are his climbing companions. All of us on a spiritual journey, different points along the way, climbing up that heavenly hillside with Christ. Just think of some of the things he taught us. He taught us the secret to living the blessed life in those beatitudes. He taught us the importance of shining with his light and showing his love. He taught us a new standard for righteousness because everything we had believed, he raised the standard. You had heard it said you're supposed to do this, but I tell you, that's not even close. He taught us the pathway for sincere generosity and how to live our lives as stewards. He taught us how to pray He gave us a command to forgive and to how to relate to one another. He taught us the necessity of fasting, the significance of investing in eternal things. Have you heard the words of Jesus? Are you investing in those things that moth and rust will not destroy? He taught us not to worry. He taught us to prioritize the kingdom of God, to seek first his kingdom and all his righteousness and all the other things that would be added to us taught us about the danger of judging when we have a big old log in our eyes. But he reminded us of the reality that there will be a judgment day. And then he taught us how to pray again. And then he begins to wind down this great sermon. And he makes it as clear as any communicator can. There are two separate paths. There's a narrow gate and a wide gate. You get to choose which one you're going to go to. There are true teachers and false teachers. You get to choose who you're going to listen to. There is good fruit and bad fruit. You get to choose what kind of fruit you're going to produce in your life. In fact, he says there's authentic and inauthentic followers of Christ. There are those who believe right and feel right and even do right, but they're not truly following the Lord Jesus. And now he gives us these words at the end of this chapter, therefore, 
In other words, everything else I've said now hinges on what comes next. Therefore, everyone, say everyone. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone, say everyone, everyone. who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. Summing up the entire message of Jesus... Summarizing these few verses is this simple truth. You will build your life on something or someone, but you have a choice. Choose to build the Jesus way. In your mind's eye, I want you to begin to think right now. What are you building your life upon? Because you will build your life on something or someone. You get to choose. Choose to build the Jesus way. Are you building on your knowledge? Are you building on your career? Are you building on your finances? Are you building on your family? Are you building on a heritage that you were born into? Or are you building your life the Jesus way? It's really a summary of everything Jesus has taught. When I go through, as I did early this morning, and summarize the Sermon on the Mount, this is my first response. I'm in trouble. <laughs> I can't do it. I'm in deep weeds. Anybody feel that when you go through that list of everything Jesus said to do? I can't do that. And that's his point. He's saying, you're right. You can't. But you can do it if you build on me. If you do it the Jesus way. And so he ends this message by telling us how to accomplish what he's taught. And he's a master communicator. So he does something we should do every time we stand and talk to one another. He explains what he's trying to teach. He illustrates what he's trying to teach. And then he applies. It's an explanation, an illustration, and then an application. Notice what he says first. The Jesus way practices obedience. Here's what I want you to know. Jesus makes it clear he expects us not only to hear, but he also expects us to do what he is said to do. Now, his half-brother James would tell us this in one of the more familiar passages in the Bible. Now, can you imagine growing up with Jesus? James did not believe Jesus was the Messiah until after he was raised from the dead. And then it was like, well, I guess he really is who he says he is. I mean, just think about it. Growing up in that home, anytime he did something wrong, his mama, Mary, would look at him and go, I sure, sure wish you could just be like your brother, Jesus. <laughs> what a tough life. But after the resurrection, he's like, this is the Messiah. He follows Christ. And in James chapter 1, as pastor of the church at Jerusalem, he says this, do not merely listen to the word. 
and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. It's like he, he grew up hearing Jesus say this, and, and now he believes it. Yes, you must be a doer. Jesus was saying, it's not simply good enough to know the truth. It's not the truth you know, but the truth you obey that begins to transform you. In other words, you can have the right information, and it may even come through inspiration, but without application, it's of little value to you. Now let me say that again, because most of you have sat under better preaching than me, but it applies to what we're doing right now. You can have the right information, and it can be even under divine inspiration, but without application. It's really meaningless. doesn't make the difference. Let me see if I can illustrate it. Um, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I, I never want to embarrass anyone. So just in your mind, think and answer this question. Did anybody like get a gym membership a couple months ago? Like you started the new year? Yeah. Or maybe you like, this is the year. And so you bought a... Uh, one of those exercise bikes, or maybe the Peloton, you know, it's kind of gone down in value. You got you a used Peloton, and now it's the end of February, and it's serving its best purpose. It's where you dry your clothes on when you hang them. See, we all know what it's like to have good intentions, but not follow through. But, well, I said I wasn't going to embarrass you, but I think there's another way I can illustrate this. Raise your hand if before you came here today, you looked in a mirror at some point. Let me see your hands. I think that's all of us. Even way in the back. Thank you for participating today. You'll get your parting gift when you leave. And so, yes, we look in the mirror and what happens? It's like, ah! And so we immediately begin to do something. Say, do something. So you ladies, you begin to put on paint and you stretch things and curl things and all kind of stuff. Us guys, we just look and think, Lord Jesus, help me. What am I going to do with what I got to work with? And so we comb the hair and Maybe shave a little bit, and that's about the best we've got to offer. I mean, that's what happened, right? Because I'm looking at you. You look marvelous. I mean, you're, you're, you're good looking out there. Now, what if you had not done that? What if you just looked in the mirror and went, ah! And said, all right, time to go to church. <laughs> now, this is a friendly church. We're kind of a big family. We like one another. But I promise you, somebody, somewhere along the way, between when you came in the door and when you leave out of the parking lot, somebody would have said, hey, you doing okay, bro? I mean, is everything, I mean, you sure you're all right? You don't look all right. Right? But why? Because assessment without application is of no value. Assessment only gets credit when there has been application. It's not whether or not you know the Bible, but whether or not you do the Bible. And I have spent my life in this kind of place, a place that I love hanging out. I tell my friends I'm a church nerd because I've been in this kind of place all my life. But here's what I've learned. A lot of you, man, you've gone to 
Bible studies and Sunday school and VBS. And yet here's the problem. Many of us are educated beyond our obedience. We're not doing the simple stuff we know to do. And honestly, if I can just be vulnerable, I'm, I'm so sick of hearing snotty-nosed Christ followers talk to other Christ followers and say, well, I just need to get a little deeper. No, you need to just keep practicing the one thing Jesus said was most important. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Maybe that would make a difference in your little corner of the world. Jesus was saying, listen to what I'm saying, then do what I said. In just a few weeks, we're going to unveil to you our new mission and mission measures, way, way we define if we're living out the mission. We're even going to give you a strategy that you can write out on a napkin so everybody can be a part of the Mission Hill family right where they live and where they work and where they play. And, but the first thing we're going to tell you, if you're going to live out the mission, you're going to have to be a practicing follower of Christ. Now, what does that mean? That doesn't mean... You're trying it out and tinkering and experimenting with things. Let me see your hand if you've ever been to the doctor. I, I see a couple of doctors in here that are practicing physicians. Let me tell you what that does not mean. That does not mean when they go to help someone medically, they're saying, Hey, thanks for showing up. I'm practicing today, seeing if I can get this right. That's not what it means. It means, no, I'm practicing those things that I've already learned. I'm applying those skills that I previously was taught. So a practicing follower of Christ is a person not just that knows what they do, but does what they know. And every one of us should be practicing our faith in our daily life. Why is this so important? Because all of us are building a house. You caught that, right? If you missed it, you weren't listening to yourself because you repeated it. Jesus said everyone. Say everyone. Everybody's building a house. Now what's a house? A house might be your life. That's a good place to start. In the Bible, we talk about the house of David. Talking about David's life and those that followed after him. And, and so Jesus was saying, there's some important principles you're going to have to understand if you build your life. But you know what? The, the Bible also talks about the family as a household. And so the house may be your family. You're building your family. And I've spent my life around church folks who come in on days like today and, and they listen. And again, they even go to some of the side events. And yet they're not building their family on the foundation of Christ. And then they're surprised when strange things happen or their children don't follow after God. They've spent their whole life marginalizing the things of Christ. And then when their kids grow up and are out of the home, they wonder why they've not prioritized those things. It may mean you're building the church because the church is the house of God, right? Yet all across America, hundreds of churches are closing their door every month, going out of business. You know what that says to me? Those churches must not be built on a firm foundation because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not destroy it. It may mean you're building a society. There was an idiotic person on the news this week that got up and was talking about a certain political group, but, but they said, you know, that group of people, they believe that our rights didn't come from the government. They believe that our rights came from God. 
That's crazy, isn't it? No, according to Scripture, society, if it's going to stand, must be built on a firm foundation. And by the way, we're going to be voting later this year for somebody. They're going to live in a white what? House. And if you go right down the street from the White House, you're going to find a big domed building. And you know what takes place in there? The two houses of government meet. The Senate and the House of Representatives. And so if our society is going to be built in a way to last, it must be built on the things of God. How do you build your life? The Word of God, the way of Jesus, the teachings of Scripture provide a firm foundation upon which we build. But there's another reason we must do what Jesus taught. His Word becomes a firm foundation to prepare us for certain storms. See, the promise Jesus is making is not that if you do this, you'll avoid difficulty in life. After 13 years, I'm looking out at you, and some of you have endured great difficulty. Some of you are walking through difficult moments even today. Jesus was not saying, if you do this, you can avoid the storms. No, he's saying my way, the Jesus way, prepares you for storms. Did you see verse 25? He's just said in verse 24, the wise man, he's built his house on a rock. And then what happens? The rain comes. The rain's coming. Not just because we live in Florida, but by the way, we live in Florida. I don't know why they call this a sunshine state, because every day, if it's sunny, just give it about 15 minutes. The rain's coming. But that's not what Jesus is talking about, is it? Oh, the storms are coming. They're storms of life. Let me just see where you are today. How, how many of you would say, Pastor, you may or may not know it, but, but I'm walking through a life storm right now. Anybody in the room? Several of you. Thank you for showing that. That just gives me a point of prayer as I go forward. Matter of fact, I, feel, I just feel led to pause right here. Father, in the name of Jesus, you just saw hands that identify people that say something in their life is stormy. I'm so thankful that you know our needs. You're not caught off guard. And so I pray that you meet every need according to your riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And that in these storms, those who are built on the firm foundation of you, the Lord Jesus Christ, might draw close and feel the ref find the refuge that can only be found in you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So some of us are in the storm. Others of you are like, oh, pastor, I don't know how, but praise the Lord. I mean, it just about killed me, but I just came out of the storm. I'm just, I'm, I'm coming out. I mean, I feel like I'm crawling, and I'm half naked and beat up and bruised, but I'm, I'm coming out of the storm. Any of y'all there? Some of you just come out of a storm? Good. Praise the Lord. Give God praise for getting out of the storm. Isn't that a good thing? Now, if you didn't raise your hand, I got some bad news. Because Jesus said the storm's coming. So either you're in a storm, you've just come out of the storm, or you may not realize it. But buckle up, buttercup, you're headed into a storm. I mean, things may be about to get difficult. So you need to understand this. Storms are coming. But I don't think that's all Jesus was saying. I think he was saying storms are coming, but I think he was also saying the storm is coming. What would he be talking about? 
One day the storm of God's judgment will fall down on everyone. I do hope you recognize that. We've just heard Jesus tell us to be careful about judging others and to watch out for that log in our eye. But in doing so, he reminds us that it's appointed unto man once to die and then comes the what? The judgment. And all throughout scripture, we're, we're told that we will be in a judgment. If you've never heard that today, hear the pastor say it. There's a judgment coming. In fact, there's two. There's the great white throne, throne judgment where it'll be determined if your name's been written in the Lamb's book of life, whether or not you were a follower of Jesus Christ. And then as followers of Jesus Christ, we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And the Bible says that every idle word that's not been confessed and forgiven by God will be dealt with there. Judgment. And I, I just think we've not, we've not lived with that reality. Why do we have judgment coming? Well, the Bible says every one of us were born separated from God because we're born with a nature of sin. Sin is not just what you do, though you do sin, every one of us. Sin is the nature that you possess. Do you understand that? Everybody that's been born, except for two people, Adam and Eve, every 100% human that's been born is born with this nature of sin. And that sin separates us from God. It's been a hard week for Frosty. Y'all know who Frosty is? That's our Maltese Shih Tzu, and he's about 15 years old. Best of my ability, that's about 115 in dog years. He's an old man. Me and my wife, we've given him everything he's ever had. He had a tough week. But he started feeling a little better at the end of the week. And on Friday evening, we were just minding our own business, leaving him alone and all of a sudden, we noticed that he had left the room, but he came back in, and he was going to town on something. And we looked down, and he had gone into the pantry, climbed into the trash. He's a little dog. Climbed, I mean, it's like an Olympic feat for him just to do that. Climbed into the trash, got out what remained of a T-bone steak I had grilled, and he was having what was like his last supper. I mean, it was the best <laughs> meal ever. And we were worried because he's had a tough week. So I'm like, we got to get that thing. That's going to kill him. We got to get that thing out of him. So I then proceeded to get that meat from that dog. He turned into Cujo. I mean, it was, it was crazy. I mean, his old black teeth that are about to fall out and they're chipped. I mean, he started growling and snarling and angry and I wanted to say don't you remember 15 years ago when I drove an hour and a half away and paid these people I didn't know on the side of the road and picked you out of a box and said you're a purpose and we let you sleep in our bed and I give you good food and you got little places you can just lounge and hang out all over the house don't you know who you're growling at but it didn't faze him you know why because he's a dog now, I know some of you have forgotten that, but those little furry creatures, they are not human. And he's got the nature of a dog. Right? You see where I'm going? 
You've got the nature of a sinner. And if that nature is not dealt with, you will spend forever separated from God in a place called hell. And the only way that can be dealt with is through the mercy of God, through the grace of Jesus Christ, because of what he did on the cross of Calvary. That's why it says in, in, in God's word in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what happens? I'm a sinner. I understand this. I get this intellectual knowledge. And then it moves from my head to my heart. And I begin to make a decision of my will, the volition, my personal will. And I say, God, I believe that you love me and sent your son Jesus. And I believe he died on the cross for me. And I believe he's alive today. And I believe he's Lord. So here's my resignation. I'm resigning as Lord of the universe for the rest of my life. I'm going to follow Jesus. And here's what happens when you do that. You know what the Bible says happened? God takes your heart of stone and he replaces it with his heart. He takes you who are clothed in that nature of sin and he covers you in his righteousness. And in Paul's letter to Corinthians, he says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. All the old things are passed away and everything has become new. That's what it means to get that nature of Jesus. But if we, don't, if we don't have that, if there's not been that moment in your life, then just know you've been warned. The storm is coming. David Platt says when he talks about a storm coming, he's not talking about what we so often identify as the storms of life. Those storms are real and they're painful and they're storms like cancer and divorce and losing a loved one. And the Bible certainly addresses them. However, Jesus is referring to a cataclysmic reality, a final and utterly devastating storm, the future judgment of God. And so Jesus said, the rains came, the floods rose, and the wind beat the side of the house. What do we call that here in Florida? That's a hurricane. Jesus is talking about a hurricane. So are you following this story? You got two men. It's applying to everybody, but Jesus is illustrating this by talking about two men. They both are building houses. Both are dealing with the same set of facts. And that's just a reminder. You're very welcome to your own opinion. You're going to be wrong a lot of the time, but you're welcome to your own opinion. But you don't get your own set of the facts. We're all being governed by the same facts. If what we believe and teach in this place is true, if we believe the word of God, this is our foundation. These are the facts. So these two men were living under the same laws, under the same facts. They were both facing a storm. And before the storm comes, you can't tell any difference. And that's the way it is with some of you guys. When you're not walking through the storm, you can fake it till you make it. You can put on church clothes, you can clean up, you can sing the songs, you can say the right statements. But you're not all built on the same foundation. These two men built differently. One built a house that survived, one built a house that was destroyed. Why? Because one built on the rock. And one bit on the sand. Did you hear that? But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them to practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell. 
with a crash. Foolish, it's a word that literally would be translated moronic if we use that word much in our vocabulary. But he's saying you couldn't get much more dumb than this guy. He knew what to do. He knew what would make a difference. But he didn't do it. How about you? What are you building on? Well, the third thing I see in this is that the Jesus way prevents destruction. You see, we have to be aware of the potential of destruction. That judgment that's coming, if it's left undealt with in our lives, will end in destruction. Yet God says it's not his desire that any should perish. You remember Hurricane Michael? It was 2018, really slammed the panhandle. There's a homeowner in Mexico Beach that had just built a house a couple years earlier. And he was interviewed by the New York Times because of what happened. But he said, we built this house for the big one. The house was fashioned from poured concrete, reinforced by steel cables and rebar with additional concrete bolstering the corners of the house. The space under the roof was minimized so that wind could not sneak in underneath and lift it off. The home's elevation on high pilings was meant to keep it on the surge of seawater usually, that usually accompanies powerful hurricanes. He says, we're thinking we need to build a house that would survive for generations. He, he wouldn't say how much more he spent because they did so much more than the simple codes called for. But I'll let you take a look and see if you think it was worth it. His house is still standing. He said it did crack one of the windows in the shower. And it might take him a few days to clean things up. But there was no structural damage of any significance to the home. I want you to hear something. Turn up your hearing aids, right? The storm reveals the foundation. Before the storm, everything looks the same. The storm reveals the foundation. I've been doing this for a lot of years. I love church people, but I, walk fo- I, I watch folks walk through life and pretend and position themselves, and then the rain comes, and the floods rise, and the winds beat them up. The storms come. We see that their foundation wasn't strong. Last year, I attended a meeting in Nashville, and the meeting I was going to was in a building that was one of the older high-rises, but not a skyscraper. But as I got into that building, I noticed that right across the street, it looked like a nuclear bomb had gone off. I'd never seen anything like it, and I've been in a lot of big cities. It, It was this huge crater. It's hard to imagine that anything could be put where that big hole was. But then I realized what was taking place. They were building a new skyscraper. You see, with a skyscraper, the the higher the building is going to go, the deeper the dig has to be. I've lived enough life to recognize there are a lot of people who want skyscraper lives, but they're building on doghouse foundations. 
I had a dog growing up, too. Her name was Princess. And my dad did not believe in inside dogs, so Princess lived outside. I can assure you she never slept on anybody's bed. But my dad did build her a nice dog house. I mean, I painted it. He put real shingles on it. I mean, it matched the house. It was a good deal. But I remember as a child, one day the winds came. And that doghouse just flipped over. You can't build a skyscraper life on a doghouse foundation. Some of you are building on sand. How you know, Pastor? Well, you're just chasing the triangle. We've talked about this before, those three things that kind of can get at us and cause us to miss out on God's best. The Bible calls them the, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and, and the pride of life. And, and so if you're caught up in the lust of the eyes, you're living just to feed your appetite and your mentality is, I can never have enough, just give me more. If you're, you're living for the lust of the flesh, Man, you're just living for your ambition, and you think, I can never do enough, so you just do and do and do. And even when it comes to the things of God, you just try to do enough to make it right. If you're living with that pride of life, you're living with approval, and so your number one God is whether or not people like you or whether or not they're happy with you. And so your problem is you think, I can never be enough. And if you're not careful, you just find yourself chasing these these triangle of appetite and ambition and approval. And you're chasing the things of this world, and that always leads you to a life of sinking sand. But if you make the choice, and you stop chasing the things of this world, if you choose the life that Christ offers and build your foundation on Him, you're building your life on a firm foundation. And by the way, that changes things. It changes scenario. Look at, the, look at this picture again. This time... You see the house that is circled in yellow? And do you look right behind the house? Do you see there's another house there? What am I trying to show you? When you build your life on a firm foundation, it doesn't just affect you. It affects others around you. Those houses were spared. Look around. Nothing else was. Those houses were spared because of one house built on a firm foundation. You want your family to have a firm foundation? Then dad... Start building your life on Jesus Christ. You want your marriage to have a firm foundation? And ma'am, make sure your life is built on Jesus Christ. You want this church never to have to close our doors? Then you help us build on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You want a better country? Well, then stop celebrating whichever political party you liked on that particular day and start praying and living in such a way that our nation would turn to Christ, that we would have spiritual awakening and our world would be founded on Him. That's what makes the difference. Oh, it grieves me as a pastor. I watch parents struggle as kids grow up and they walk away from the church and they wonder why. And yet, I watch them grow up and I see that the parents did not prioritize those things of God. They marginalized the house of God. And they expect their children to live differently than they've been taught. 
you want a firm foundation around you, then determine to live with a firm foundation today. All this is just to say that the Jesus way provokes response. You can't work on the foundation during the storm. This has been kind of a prophetic message, so I hope you are all right. But hear me, you, you can't work on the foundation during the storm. That's when you call us, and we'll answer, and we won't be ugly. But that's when you cry out for help. That's when you call the church and you want to sit down with a counselor. You're in the storm. And we'll pray with you, we'll open God's word. But the reality is, you can't fix the root of the problem when the wind's blowing and the rain's beating you down. Because the root problem is the foundation. So the time to do that is today. This passage ends, and it says, When Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority. I hear that, and I just think of two responses that we need to have today. We need to stand in amazement. If you've got a relationship with Christ, and you know you have that, in the next few minutes, I'm going to ask you to forget whatever else you've got on your schedule today and just spend some time standing in the amazement of who Jesus is. Like the song, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus and Nazarene. I wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Oh, I pray that today you can just Gaze into the eyes of Jesus and stand in amazement. The Jesus way is different, and it's worth it. But there's a second thing. They noticed his authority. So you really want to be on a firm foundation, you've got to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to follow him. That's where that resignation comes in. You recognize you can't be in charge. You're no good at it. You give him control of your life. Here's what I've learned. I try to be healthy. I can have a bulldog personality. I consider myself a strong man. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how strong I am. What matters is how strong my foundation is. Because I'm not building my life on me. I'm building my life on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And you, you will choose to build your life on something or someone. I'm just telling you, choose to build the Jesus way. You won't regret it. Choose to build the Jesus way. And in this season of politics, let me just remind you, the way of Jesus calls us to do more than just reform this secular kingdom in which we live. It commands us to renounce this kingdom and to instead live for his kingdom, which will have no end. And his way is always better. 
So which authority are you living under today? What foundation are you building on? What rock are you standing on? One of my favorite places in the world is a place in France called Mont-Saint-Michel. It's in the Brittany region of France, which is one of my longest ministry and mission partnerships. At first glance, it, it would appear that this small city is built on sand because everything around it is sand. I mean, that's the sea that you see. Every day, the tide comes in and surrounds this little island of a city that has an abbey, a monastery at the top. This place is hundreds of years old. And you wonder, how is that? And if you research a little bit, you discover why. Mont Saint-Michel is not built on sand. It's built on an unusually large slab of granite. Solid rock. And every day, the waters come in. And on a regular basis in that Brittany region of France, the rains come and the winds blow. But it stands the test of time. The rain came down. The streams rose. The winds blew and beat against this house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. May it be so with us. May we build our lives. May we build our families. May we build this church. May we build our society on the solid rock of Jesus. And may we not be content building on our desires and then just decorating our lives and our families and our church and our society with Jesus' trinkets. Let's give it all to him. Let's bow our heads together. So there it is. Man. I don't know how to be much more clear, church. There's kind of three responses, I suppose. One would be, yes, I'm a follower of Christ. I've built on the firm foundation and things are pretty good. I, I feel like I'm trusting him. I'm walking with him. If that's you, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Take a moment and just praise him as we worship him in these next few minutes and just celebrate what he's brought you through, perhaps, and the relationship you have with him. There's other of you, you too, you know you're a Christian, but you look at your life and you say, man, pastor, that last little phrase you said, decorating with the trinkets of Jesus. I feel like maybe I've done more of that than I have the firm foundation. I know the verses. I know the right things to say, but when it comes to my trust, I, I'm, I don't know I'm completely trusting in Jesus. If that's you, just make this a moment of recommitment. Whether you do that in your seat or whether in just a moment you come and kneel and pray or whether you talk with one of the pastors that are standing here, we just want you to encounter God in this moment in a way that changes you, that's personal for you. But somebody's hearing this and you've never, you've never, you've never begun to stand on that solid rock of Jesus. I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm saying you were born a sinner like me. And if that sin's left undealt with, 
you'll face the judgment, and you don't want to do that. That's why God sent his son into this world. That's why Jesus died on the cross. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. What are you saved from? You're saved from that judgment. You're saved from a life separated from God. You're saved to a life with Jesus. Do you need to be saved? If so, just cry out to him right now. It says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, maybe just confess that. Just say, Jesus, you are Lord. You know what Lord is? Lord means boss. Oh, yeah, so maybe you need to resign first. Lord Jesus, I know I'm not the boss. I resign. I, I, I didn't die for anybody's sins, and I'm, I wasn't raised from the dead, but I believe you were. So come take control of my life. I'm going to follow you from here on out. However you pray it out to God. Cry out to God. Just a moment, we're going to respond to this time in God's Word in several ways. I'm going to challenge you to give. That's always an important thing we do. We give back to God. We're, We're going to sing. That's a celebration of what we believe. But I also want you to consider what you need to do. Remember, not just hearing but doing, not just information and inspiration, but application. So our pastors are beginning to stand here. The front of our church is open right now for you just to come and kneel and pray. If you have begun that relationship with Jesus or you want to begin that relationship with Jesus, we want to we talk you through that and help you understand that. Just come talk to one of us. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just want to say, you are so good. As we've sung and celebrated already in worship. I know as a testimony, all my life you've been faithful to me, even when I was faithless. All my life you've been so, so good. And so it's easy to say, and I know things are better when I live with my foundation firmly planted in you. Lord, I pray that as we continue to worship, as we respond now to what you've done, that we would not just be hearers we would be doers. I pray that that'll be, that would be transforming in our lives, in our families, in our church, and even in our world. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together with me? I'm going to sing this song. so powerful. Sing this if you mean this. But as God leads you, you step out. You come. Pastors are here. Front is open for prayer. You come. alone.